you this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. So glad that you're here. Appreciate the prayer on my behalf, and uh, you may recognize this uh, sermon series as we just had it last month. So uh, we're going to add just a few more things and um, on the letters to the churches. I think there's so many things that we can learn from the churches that we could probably do a month-long sermon series on Revelation 2 and 3, and, and I'm not trying to add to anything that David gave to us. He did a great job here just a, about a month ago. But this morning, I want you to imagine that you're sitting in a church in Ephesus this morning. It's about 90 A.D., and an elder gets up before the congregation and says, we've received a letter, and I'm going to read that to you this morning. So um, put yourself in that position. To all that's assembled, we're going to read this letter to you here at Ephesus. A messenger appeared to John. He's been exiled on the Isle of Patmos, and... A messenger or angel appeared to him, and he's giving him words directly from Jesus Christ. So we essentially have received a letter from Jesus this morning, and I'm going to read that to you, is what he says. Probably something like this or similar to this happened in all the seven churches. So imagine the excitement. Imagine, you know, the, the, what's going on as he is about to direct them in this letter. As they're about to listen to the letter and the things that are going on. Uh, that are coming to their mind that might be contained within these letters. And like I said, David gave a fantastic lesson over these seven churches, and there's, I'm not trying to add to that in any way, and we could probably go on and on about, um, about the Revelation 2 and 3 and the things that we could add to it. But there are some definite themes that are included in these seven letters that we want to look at this morning. There are some definite things that are on the mind of Christ that I think he's trying to address to the congregations. And that's some things that I want to share with you today. One of the first things that we notice as you read through these letters, in every one of them is in the seven letters, he said, I know your works. These exact wording is to every church. I know your works. Jesus knows his churches. In Revelation chapter 2, verses, or in verse number 19, it said, I know your works, I know your love and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. He writes this to the church in Thyatira. He says, I know your works. I know your progress. I know your growth. I know the troubles that you have. I know your love. I know your faith. I know your endurance and your perseverance. I know what you struggle with. I know what you're victorious in. I know your strengths. I know your weaknesses. I know your troubles and tribulations and afflictions. I know where you live. Jesus knows His churches, and He knows the individuals in His churches. And it's the same for you and I. Jesus knows the church in Amarillo. He knows our works. He knows our benevolence. He knows our evangelism or our lack of evangelism. And I want you to notice something else, that He knows individuals in His church. He mentions in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 13, a man by the name of Antipas and how that he... Uh, lost his life. He was a faithful witness unto Christ, and he was killed. He knows individuals in his churches. And I want you to think about this morning that Jesus knows you. He knows you individually. He knows your love. He knows your faith. He knows your patience and perseverance. He knows what you lack in. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what we need help in. Jesus knows you today. He knows our words. He knows our actions. He knows our thoughts. He knows if I'm thinking about being baptized and I've been putting that off for a long time. He knows that. 
He knows where I'm at in my spiritual life. He knows what changes I need to make. He knows all these things. And I want you to think about that for a minute this morning and how that makes you feel. How does it make you feel that Jesus knows you so intimately and so personally? That He knows all these things about you, even my own thoughts that I'm trying to maybe hide from other people, that I, I do hide from other people maybe. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel to know that Jesus walks with you? Do I try to hide from Him as Adam and Eve did in the garden when they sinned? And thinking I can hide from Him and just you know, cover it up, things that are amiss in my life, things that are wrong? Because that's not the way it works. He, he knows all those things about us. So if I, I dread when I think about Jesus walking with me and, and being with me and knowing me so intimately, if that makes me nervous, if that makes me uncomfortable, well, maybe I need to step back and, and think about changes that I need to make in my life and in my heart. That's a signal that it should be because Jesus knows His churches. He knows individuals. He knows you. And you're important to, to Him. Jesus wants us to know Him. You know, He knows the churches, He knows us, but He also wants us to know Him. He wants to have a relationship with you. In John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, in that section of verses, He says, I call my sheep by name and they follow me. I lead them. And they know my voice and they follow after me, but they won't follow after a stranger because they don't know His voice. So how does that work? How do we follow Jesus? By knowing His voice. You think about the sheep that follow after Him. We are the sheep. He is the Good Shepherd. He wants us to know His Word, and we've got to spend time in it, learning it, and studying it before we can be true followers or good followers of Him. Good sheep. And not rebellious sheep. And He leads us. Sheep follow Him, and they know His voice. Do you know His voice today? Do you know His Word do you know His wisdom that He has for us? Well, think about this. I think it's a, a very big theme as we look at these seven churches that's among that Jesus knows His churches. Also, another theme that is very important is Christ wants us to guard our teaching. He wants the churches to guard their teaching and what's being taught. Christ praises the church in Ephesus because they're trying and testing those that say that they're apostles and are not. They're trying and testing the false teachers that are coming in. He said, I know you, in verse number 2, Revelation 2 and 2, it says, I, I know that you can't bear those that are evil. You've tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and found them liars. And you remember in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31, how that Paul had spent three years in Ephesus with the leaders there. And with the church there, working amongst the church. And he warned them day and night for three years and admonished them to pay careful attention to yourselves, elders, and also to your flock. And be alert, because not long after my departure, are fierce wolves, false teachers are going to enter in, speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. He cares about what's being taught, and it's important. Paul cried with them and admonished them day and night with tears that they might pay careful attention to what's being taught. That was his admonition and teaching to the elders there. So the critical point here is the elders of Ephesus were doing exactly what Paul had taught them in Acts chapter 20. 
It is very important to Him. And it's very important to Christ. This was on the mind of Christ as He wrote these letters to His churches that the teaching might be in accordance with His will and His Word. In 2 Peter chapter 2, and verse number 1, Peter does the same type of admonition to the ones he's writing to there. And he says, But false prophets also will enter in among the flock and, and among the people. And there will be false teachers among you and secretly bring in destructive heresies and false teaching and even deny the word of the Master or deny the Master. You see, we can get so far away in our teaching that it's not even about Jesus anymore. It's not even about the Master anymore. And that's happened to a lot of churches in a lot of places. The teaching is important to Christ and what's being said and what's being done. Jesus condemns the churches in Thyatira and Pergamum for some things that they were teaching or allowed, allowing to be taught by eating things sacrificed to idols and committing fornication. And He addresses them about this teaching that He didn't want in their churches, that was wrong, that was sinful, that was not part of what he wanted done and taught. You know, um, it was Trevor that talked a little bit about the Gnostics. These Gnostics were making this claim that the physical body doesn't mean anything, it's not important. So it doesn't really matter what you do with your physical body as long as the soul is not involved in that. So it's okay to commit fornication, it's okay to to eat this meat that was offered to idols. That was the type of teaching that they were doing. You know, Danny had mentioned last Sunday about the church in Corinth and how that it reminds him of Western Christianity, Christianity today here in the United States. And it's the same here. It's no different. You know, it's an age-old problem, people trying to make up excuses to fit into the world, to practice what the world is practicing to do things that other churches are doing or other people around us are doing. And that's what the Gnostics were trying to teach. And that's what we, a lot of uh, people do today. We try to make excuses. It's an age-old problem. It's, it hasn't changed. Just like the church in Corinth is very similar to American churches, this is similar to us here today too. You think about excuses that we try to make and come up with. About, well, you know, we can't remove ourselves from the world, so... You know, hey, it's okay to participate in some of these things. You know, we've got to reach out to the world, so this is a way that we can participate. You know, as you think about this, I know we don't suffer or, or, um, with the problem of eating meat sacrificed to an idol. You know, that's not something that we normally are, are, are worried about or committing fornication as part of a worship service or something like that. That's not something we struggle with, but there are things that are... Uh, that we do struggle with that are similar, and we're trying to make up excuses to, to follow after and do things that we want to do that the world's doing around us. You know, it's an important thing there in Ephesus that all the people in the city were going to these festivals and these celebrations and participating in, in eating the meat that was offered. The people wanted to be a part of that. They didn't want to be different from other people around them, and that can fall upon us too. It's easy for us to make excuses about things that are going on around us, and we think about, uh, well, it's it's not a um, one of the. It's not a uh, can't think of a word I'm trying to come up with now. It's not a. Let me look at my notes. I'm sorry. 
It's not a doctrinal issue. It's not a salvation issue. That's what I'm trying to come up with. Sorry. Over and over again, people will say that. It's not a salvation issue. It's not important. It doesn't matter. It's not that big a deal. And there's all these excuses that we try to make and go through. But Christ cares about our teaching. And He wants us to guard what's being taught. And it is a big deal. It is important to Him. Another thing that's important that Christ wants us to know and wants us to learn that Christian, Christ wants Christians to know, or the churches to know, that they can be lost. We see this theme that runs throughout the letter over and over and over. Sometimes the question is brought to, to our view of, of this once saved, always saved. It's a very prevalent doctrine in most of the religious world in the United States today. Most of the churches in town, the biggest churches in town, I venture to say, teach this doctrine that a Christian can never be lost. So, this question is raised whether a person is saved, can that person be lost? After all, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 39 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And John, John writes in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So, as we think about this, and we think about the question, can one who has been obedient to the gospel to the point that they've received Jesus Christ, can they someday sin so as to be lost? That's our question this morning. And Revelation chapter 2 and 3 answer that question very clearly and very precisely, that you can be lost. Once you've been saved, you can be lost. To those in Ephesus, he threatened, if you don't repent and do the first works, I'm going to come quickly and remove your candlestick. Remove your light. What does that mean? You're going to be lost. If you don't make some changes, you're going to be lost. To another church, he says that if it's conditioned upon their faithfulness. If you're not faithful unto death, then you're not going to receive a crown of life. But if you are faithful, you will receive it, you see. You can be lost. Repent, or else I will come to thee quickly, and I will fight against thee with the word of, a sword of my mouth. Again, this idea of being lost. Behold, I will cast her into a bed. There was some that were following after the, the teaching of Jezebel. He says, I will kill her children with, the, with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the minds and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But he says to those that are not following after that doctrine, hold fast until I come. You see, some were following after this doctrine. And remember, He's the one that searches the hearts and minds. It is important what we're doing and what we're saying. You can be lost. You're going to be rewarded according to your works, according to what you're doing. It's important to Him that we follow His Word, that we be sheep that follow after Him, or we will be lost. Hold fast till I come. He also mentions if you don't repent, that I will come as a thief in the night. You won't be expecting it. You won't be ready. You won't be watching. Again, he admonishes his churches. He admonishes us over and over to be watching and waiting and ready for his return and when he comes. To the one who conquers will, uh, and overcomes, he will be given white garments. He will be in purity. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name. I will acknowledge his name before my Father and before the angels. Behold, I come quickly. 
Hold fast to that that thou hast, that no man take your crown. He said, I didn't think someone could take our crown. Well, if you follow after false teaching and go after false doctrine, you lay your crown down. You've taken your crown off, and it can disappear. You can be lost. And remember the importance of this and how important it is to Jesus Christ that we follow after His Word. I think one of the um, verses that teaches this very clearly to us, in addition to what we see in the churches, is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4, four through 6. Listen to these words. It says, For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good Word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they will fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. Look at all these different characteristics that it talks about. Tasted the good Word of God. Tasted the powers of the age to come. Partakers of the Holy Spirit. These are saved people. Those that are saved in a saved condition, yes, you can be lost. And Christ wants you to know that. Thousands and thousands of people in the city of Amarillo this morning are hearing something different than that. That once you're saved, you're always saved. So can a Christian who is saved walk away? And be, walk away? Yes. Satan cannot remove us from Christ. He can't snatch us out of his hand. Neither can any man. But we can willingly walk away through our unfaithfulness. We can turn our backs on Him and we can start following after false doctrines and false teachings that we just talked about. We can start turning our back away and doing things that He would not have us to do and we can be lost. Christians want, or Christ wants Christians to know that. He wanted His church, churches to know that. Jesus gives strong admonition and strong warning. But he also gives a promise to follow after that. You know, Jesus didn't just give the churches uh, this admonition, but he also gave them the remedy of what they needed to do about these problems that were going on in their churches. How to fix it, how to make it right. Every letter, even those containing these severe warnings, closes with a promise of reward if we overcome to those who are overcomers. There were specific things that Jesus wanted them to do that they must do in order that they would have this, um, that they might be rewarded and they might overcome. First of all, he talks about hearing. In almost every one of the letters, he says, He who hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit said to the churches. Hear these things. Hear what I'm saying to you. But to overcome, you're going to have to hear. You're going to have to listen. You're going to have to understand. Listen up. Some changes need to be made, and these changes need to be made quickly. Repent, or I'm going to come quickly and remove your camp, uh, lampstand, candlestick. So listen up. There's an urgency behind it. If you don't do these things, you'll be lost. And he also says to remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember what you heard at first, what the apostles and prophets and the Word and the Scriptures taught to you, and get back to that from what you've fallen away from. Repent and do the first works. He tells us to repent, to change our actions, to change our life, to make those changes that we need to, to turn away from those evil things and turn back to the Word of God. <clears throat> and he says, do the first works. Obey the gospel. 
believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. You know, these people were, were members of church. They were the saved. But they were doing some things that were getting them on the road to being lost. And he says, uh, you need to make some changes. You need to, to, to obey the gospel. They had already been baptized. They had already believed and repented and confessed and been baptized. So what did they need to do? They needed to repent and confess their sins and turn back to God. If you're here this morning, you hadn't been baptized, you hadn't even started this yet, you are in danger. You are lost. You are an enemy of God. How do we become a friend of God? You know what I mean? Our sin separates us from God. To not be an enemy of God, we've got to obey Him. We've got to know His Word, hear His Word, repent, confess, obey, and be baptized. How important that is. And we've got to hold fast to what we have. Hold fast to that doctrine if you're a child of God. Turn back to Him. He said, don't fear those things that you're about to suffer. You're going to be tested, but you will have tribulation, but be faithful unto death. Continue in your faithfulness and be zealous in that and persevere. You know, the church in, in Philadelphia, he, he praised them in, in chapter 3 and verse number 10 because they persevered and followed after the commands that He gave them to persevere in that. So as we close this morning, I want you to think about some of the things that He writes to the churches. If they will overcome, these are the great rewards that they're going to have. To the church in Ephesus, He says, you can live forever. To the church in Sperna, He says, eternal victory with Christ. And you'll avoid, you can have this eternal victory with Christ and you'll avoid eternal punishment in the lake of fire. To the church in Pergamum, he says, you can have the spiritual manna. Just like the children of Israel had the physical manna that sustained them in the wilderness as they wandered in the wilderness. He said, you can have the spiritual manna to sustain you and you will be God's special chosen people, a chosen stone. To the church in Thyatira, he says, to those being oppressed by Rome, he said, you can have this reward of being someday victorious with, with Jesus Christ, the morning star. How priceless that was and the persecution that they were undergoing and the problems that they were undergoing, that they would someday be victorious if they would hold on and follow after Christ. They would be victorious with Him. To the church in Sardis, he says, you can have a white robe indicating purity. And he would confess them before God, acknowledge them. To the church in, in Philadelphia, he said they would be a permanent and unmovable part, this pillar of God's special place. They would have honor and recognition from the Father and from the Son. And also in the church in Laodicea, that they could join Christ in His victory over these nations. What a glorious list of promises and rewards, all focusing on eternal life with God and Christ in heaven. And Christ wants Christians to be people of hope. Yes, unfaithfulness can take these things away. It can take the rewards away. It's to, these blessings are to those who overcome. The rewards only to those that overcome and what they have in store. And note that in every case, it's only promised to those who overcome. So I hope that some things we brought out this morning have, have blessed you. And we need to remember that how important the teaching is to Christ how important it is that we can be lost and we need to be on our guard and watching and waiting and ready for His return. If the church can do anything for you here this morning, please come forward as we stand and sing together.